internet brand strategist Sandra Beck interviews top business coaches, speakers, authors, and thought leaders to bring you the best business tips, tricks, and techniques to give your idea the best possible chance for success. From writing your first novel, to telecommuting from home, to taking your small business to infinity and beyond. Now here's your host, Sandra Beck. everybody. This is Sandra Beck and I'm here with Sharon Silver and we're going to talk today about mindful parenting. And this is such a great topic for me because I mean, Sharon, we've known each other a long time and, and done many shows together, but the trend in parenting is shifting and it used to be like all about the kids that it was all about the parents and now I'm finding myself completely confused. So I'm good that I'm glad that you're here <laughs> to clarify some of these things. What is mindful parenting? And honestly, why should we listen to you? <laughs> <laughs> well, no pressure. No um, pressure. None whatsoever. <laughs> none whatsoever. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. And mindful parenting is is as confusing to you as it is to everybody else right now because it's in the beginning stages. And I would say that the, a lot of parents really do believe that if I change my basic um, natural parenting way and I become more zen-like and more yoga-like and calmer, that that is being a mindful parent. Now, breathing and meditation, great stuff. Big, you know, big big amount in my life. I really enjoy it. I use it and it does work, but that's not enough. So mindful parenting really addresses how do I become who I truly am? I'm outgoing. I'm silly. I'm funny. And I'm also your parent and I'm firm and I don't want to harm you. There's a wonderful, um, statement out there that says, couldn't we just focus on raising children that didn't have to go into therapy? <laughs> so I think, yeah, you know, I, I really believe that this is kind of, we've all been working on ourselves. We've been acknowledging, you know, our own empowerment. And now it's extending to our relationship with our children. So basically, the bottom line that I would say with being mindful is that, um, you know how the times when you plug into that automatic autopilot parenting, so you're, you, you know, life has gotten monotonous and then your kid says something to you and boom, it just comes right out of your mouth. The goal here is that mindful parenting is about being aware of everything you say and do in the moment, mm -hmm. which is a huge amount of pressure. What I'm trying to do is bring mindfulness into um, stopping your reactions and how do you respond? But more, most importantly, for many parents, what I'm trying to do is say you can do this with your firm authority. In being calm, in being mindful, there is no wiggle room. Right. So your child instantly gets the message, I'm serious, sweetheart. This is your lesson. I'm here to support you, but you have to do this. Mm -hmm. Well, I find, you know, and this is, this is something that I've, I've, I, I don't understand, and maybe you can shed some light on it. You know, as a single mom with my two boys, I get invited and included a lot of things. I'm like the, when the husband can't make something, I'm the date, you know? <laughs> and so I do spend a lot of time in other people's families. And it's always astounding to me, you know, I'm who I am in my business, in my office, and I'm the same person that I am at home. And I hear sometimes parents say things to their kids, either grown or, you know, little kids, they would never say in an office, they would never say in, in, um, I don't know, like you wouldn't, you wouldn't act this way in the grocery store. And I remember a time right. when I was really little and <laughs> like, I love my mom and you know, God rest her soul. She's going to come back from the grave and be like, I can't believe you said that on the air. But one time she was yelling at all of us kids, you know, it was like, you know, five, six of us running around the cellar. This was back East and where it was cold and we could only play in the center in the, um, the cellar in the winter. And we were swinging on the poles that supported the house and falling on the concrete and cracking our heads. So my mom is like, you guys weren't watching your little brother. Now he's got a big bump on his head. And blah, blah, blah. She picks up the phone. And she's like, hello, Beck residence. <laughs> 
you know, why do we do that? Why do we come home and think that, not everyone, but why do many people come home and think, oh, well, we're home now, so all bets are off? Because we can be mindful, right, at work. We can be mindful in the grocery store of our behavior, but the minute the, the front door shuts, all bets are off. Um, I think it's a two-pronged answer. Number one, somewhere deep inside of us, we have a belief about the value of our children and the value of our relationship with our children. And what we tend to forget is that it is our job with our children. We're installing the foundation of everything they will believe from now on. So when you scream and yell, basically what you're telling your children is this is how adults handle situations like this. So go ahead and scream and yell because a child just doesn't know. The other thing a child doesn't know is a child doesn't know that you're not the most intense parent that ever lived. They don't know there's a parent down the street that's more intense than you are. So all they know is that your yelling feels like thunder to them. Mm -hmm. And so the reaction across the board in every family is going to be the same. The child is yelled at and becomes emotionally stunned and emotionally flooded. And the feelings of, I can represent myself, can you meet my needs, they're not being addressed. All the child's focusing on is, you yelled at me and I don't like it. It upsets my feelings. So when you're sitting there trying to talk to them after, um, you know, instead of being mindful, you've been reactive, you, they can't hear you. But the key here is that all children will listen to you if they feel heard. Yeah. So you always begin by hearing your child. The second thing is, I don't know um, whenever parents come home, they want, they have a how can I put this? They have a deep-seated belief that children should obey them. And if they yell, that means that they're showing their intensity. And their intensity means that's their authority. Mm. And so somewhere deep inside, our society has an idea that having kids suffer in order to listen or learn is the way to go. Mm -hmm. So that's why we, we accept spanking and punishing and slapping and then, of course, there's, you know, um, how you view yourself out in the world. Your mother picked up the phone and said, Beck residence. <laughs> so she had her persona on. Right. Um, but what she was really feeling is, are you kidding me? Do I have to go to the doctor with you people? Will you people ever listen to me? <laughs> so, it, you know, it's different. There's different levels of all of this and there's differences in every household. But, um, you know, being mindful I think if you look at what Webster says, Webster says that uh, mindfulness means the practice of maintaining a non-judgmental state of heightened or complete awareness of one's thoughts, emotions, or experiences. I don't know about you, but I don't think I could do that 24-7. No, no. You know, and it's funny, you know, when we were talking about, you know, you said something really powerful that said, you know, when somebody yells... Um, you know, right after that, you can't, they don't listen to you, you know, they can't hear you, you know, they're, I'm going to tell you when somebody yells, like for me, I have the innate ability to freeze like a stone. When somebody yells at me, as soon as their voice goes up, I turn like, I'm like, whatever that pillar of salt lady was in the Bible, only I stayed like that. <laughs> And I don't hear anything. You know, I was married right. to a man who was a yeller. And when he would yell, like two hours later, he's like, you know, you didn't hear anything I said. And I'm like, you're right. Because a lot of us just freeze like stone or freeze like ice when we're yelled at and nothing comes in. That's right. And so, you know, we accept that for ourselves and we use that as a way to um, explain how we are in relationship with each other. But we forget that's our child and the child has no choice but to use immature thinking to understand and decode what's happening to them. So all they see is that you're yelling at me, you think I'm less than, and I'm frozen on that point. Yeah. So a lot of parents will come to me and say, but I'm mindful after I send them to timeout, I'll sit and talk with them about it. I'm like, okay, well, that's really good, except are you needing to send your child to timeout again and again? Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, that's because they're not hearing you. Right. They're not getting it. Right. 
Well, and the so, one thing, like my kids said, Sharon, that was really funny. You know, we talk a lot about like, you know, the different households and stuff because, you know, we're divorced and they're remarried on the other side with other other people in the household. Um, is My kids made a really good point a while ago. We were talking about something and they said, oh, so-and-so at dad's house got really mad and was yelling at me that I was out of control. My little one is really active. <laughs> like climb the walls, active, bounce out the couch, active. And he looked at me and he said, mom, he goes, they're so upset that I'm out of control. <laughs> they're screaming at me out of control about being out right. of control. He's like, how funny is that? And there's a point to it. There's a major point to it because we tend to think that our children are not able to observe and understand the rules of how you behave, but they know our face far better than we know our face. They know full well that we are yelling and doing what we told them not to and that that's counterintuitive. They're not stupid. You know, we push them and say, you're not stupid. You could do anything. It's like, well, if I'm not stupid, then please treat me with a modicum of respect so that you understand that. I mean, a child is really clear that he's willing to place his focus, whether he listens or or cooperates, it's all determined by the way you send the information. So if you send the information riding on yelling, then the child is going to place his focus on the fact that he's being yelled at. Mm -hmm. It's just human nature. But if you send words in in a calm way, while you're still showing that you have authority, like saying things like, wow, you look really upset. I would really appreciate it if you would say it again in a way my ears can hear it. Mm -hmm. So what you're doing is you're taking the child through cause and effect. You're even, you're asking them to think about what they said. So there are certain words you can use when you're being mindful, when it's um, framed correctly, that work brilliantly to cut through all of that. Oh, my favorite try again. one. Like, I just have to jump in right now. Try again. I yeah, try use again. that all the time. You taught me that years ago. And now that I have a teenager yeah. and a preteen, which, you know, we're like, hormones are us in our house, so you never know who's going to show up. And, you know, sometimes they're really snotty. My kid's suitcase fell out of the back of my car because it was parked on an angle. And he's like, good job, mom. He's like, way to put my suitcase in. He goes, what if my PlayStation broke? I won't be able to use it dad's all weekend. And I just sat there and I'm like, try again. It's like a miracle drug. It is. It is a miracle statement because what it does is it allows you to take a breath and reassess because there isn't a parent alive that doesn't want to launch at their child. It's like, don't you dare talk to me that way. Who do you think is paying for all of that? Where do you get off? You can say all of that in a calmer way afterwards. But what is going to cut through that attitude. Now, when I heard you told this, tell the story, my awareness, my mindfulness kicked in and my, my comment would be, yeah, I need you to try again. And I also want you to think about how anxious are you about going to your father's this weekend? You know, so it'd be immediately when you start looking for those clues, you see what's motivating their attitude. Yeah. Yeah, You're really good at that. You know, they go and they just, you know, they like, love their dad, don't get me wrong, but they don't like the other household and it's, you know, they have to be on their best behavior. It's not home. And so, you know, we do get those little blips of like re-entry and then leaving. Like when they come back home, we get some blips. And when we, when they're leaving to go to their dads, we get some blips. Right. But they're, you know, that's the other thing and mindfulness Um, And I'd love to talk about this with you because, you know, Sharon, not everything is a national emergency in a household. I've got some parent friends that are like, the kid comes home from school, you think the Pope showed up, first of all, and then you, you know, the kid does something, not everything is an actual offense. Right. I mean, really, yeah. I mean, I've got some friends who ride their kids for every little thing and then they're, they wonder why their kid's blinking, you know, and rocking and, and, you know, pulling on his eyebrows. I mean, these are, you know, when you look at your kid, you can also look at them and go, you know, they are a fellow human being. 
Exactly, exactly. You nailed it. This is a fellow human being who has been entrusted to me to be raised by me. So my attitude, the way that I deal with these things, what I've brought forward from my childhood is being deposited in this child's foundation. Is that what I want? Do I want this? I call it, um, um, I can't think of it, um, following it down the chain. In other words, there's a chain that links all the generations together. Am I going to bring what was done to me into my family of origin? And for me, it was about yelling and screaming and smacking and, um, and diminishing. And I wasn't going to do it. Right. Me neither. You know, me neither. I mean, I wasn't, my mom was kind of a yeller and a slammer. She wasn't really a hitter, but she could slam the, the worst one I hated was the silverware drawer. You know, and like you slam the silverware drawer because you get that secondary rattle, you know, that really like, you know, goes through your bones. And so, you know, loud noises like that are startling. And, you know, as babies, we're, we're born with two fears, the fear of falling and the fear of loud noises. So when you look at what's the best way to rattle somebody's cage, a loud noise, you know, like think of an explosion in a war. What are we, what are we fearful of? Loud noises. So, you know, I had that thing where I, I really... I don't like loud noises and I don't like to be frightened. And I don't think frightening gets results. Well, no. I mean, you have to think about it in terms of who you are. These are just mini yous. They're just shorter than you and they use immature thinking, but they don't like any of the things that you don't like either. Nobody wants to be screamed at. Nobody wants to be yelled at. Nobody wants to be hit. Um, everybody wants the respect of here are some questions that I'm going to ask you and I'm going to ask you to pull it through your brain so that you are able to see cause and effect and learn about yourself as we go through this process. When you scream at a child, you're shutting them down. Mm-hmm. It's just a fact. You're shutting them down and causing them to focus on the fact that, um, that they've been screamed at, not on what they need to learn. Right. Now, you know, you you brought up another point, and that is when your son, um, when the suitcase fell out of the back of the car, we'll use this as a great example. Um, for a lot of parents, it's about shutting down those big emotions. Now, you're really good at this, and you and I have talked off air, so I know you're really good at this, but mm-hmm. there are a lot of parents that would go for the attitude. That would be their launching point. And the idea here is you're still dealing with a child whose brain is maturing. Mm -hmm. So regardless of the fact that he's a teenager, a lot of parents will say, well, I expect him to act like an adult. Really? Do you? And why? He's not done growing. In fact, he's doing a lot of risky behavior in his teenage years in order to find out whether he should or whether he shouldn't. Mm -hmm. And as a result, he has a lot of of, um, big emotions. So there's, I love Dr. Gordon Newfield from the Newfield Institute, and he's talked about the natural progression of um, feelings. And he suggests, and I found this to work really well, that if you are able to be mindful and let your child go through their natural progression of feelings, that you'll come out with a child who's really ready to hear you. So it starts with rage. And that's what your son, in his own way, some parents' rage would be putting a fist through a wall. Some would be having an attitude. So you know your child best. You're the expert here. Okay? I'm not. I have right, he some snappy, mean thing when he's mad. Right. So you know what your child's level of, okay, you're raging. If you take a moment and say, wow, that was a lot of anger. I'm right here whenever you're ready. Watch what happens. He'll go from rage to anger to mad and then sad. And sad, yeah. And even if he touches it just briefly for a moment, if you wait for it, you'll see that he'll come out the other side. It's at the other side that you can begin speaking. But what happens is that most parents yell when the child is raging. And what they've actually done is frozen the child in the stage of rage. Now they're dealing with somebody who's raging instead of somebody who's crying. And they're and raging. They're dealing with two people yeah. who are raging at that point. Yeah. So, so really and truly being mindful, if you can, is about letting your children process through that natural progression of feelings. When you do that, you're introducing them to their own ability to handle situations. Oh, I get mad first. I get really mad. Then I get angry, then I get mad, then I get sad, and that's when I'm ready to talk. 
Can you imagine being married to somebody who would come in and say that? Hang in there with me. You know, I tend to get really mad first, but I will come around if you wait. Talk then. See, I'm the exact opposite. I won't say anything like I'll, and then I'll, I'll have to think about what happened. And then I have to kind of feel my feelings like I'm backwards. And then like that afternoon, then I'll be like, I'm mad because, (laughs) you know, like I'm the delayed response mad and you know, we're all Mm -hmm. different. And the one thing that I, I, I don't know if I learned it from you or I can't remember where I learned it, but one, two, three, let's see. Um, Whenever my kids do something, I go in my head and I go, one, two, three, let's see. Meaning, let's see what's going on. Like, don't react right away. Take a pause. Because when I do my one, two, three, let's see, sometimes I just go, hmm. And in the absence of me saying anything, it it requires my kids to think about what they said or what they're doing. Because I'm not telling them what to do. Or I might just go, huh? And then I don't say anything. Well, silence is incredibly powerful for children. You know the old adage, he who speaks first. Um, no, you know, I don't when know you, that one. Oh, it's the adage, he who speaks first loses. Oh. So, you know, I don't really like that, it, that the word is win or lose in there, right. but it is true that if you are silent, then you wait and your child will speak up because the pressure of the silence is enough to really make your point. And you don't have to always be the one to talk because Mm -hmm. what parents are starting to realize, and this is what my goal is, is we've gone through the personal growth movement. We're all aware of how we feel. We talk articulately about our feelings. You know what your pattern is that you, you know, don't say anything and then you come back later. So we're all really clear about that. What we're not clear is what we've brought from our childhood and what we're dumping into our children's Mm -hmm. childhood. And for me, my story was that I'm older than a lot of you. And so I really do come from a time when children were to be seen and not heard. Mm -hmm. And you did what you were told, when you were told, or else. Okay, now, if I didn't do what I was told, my mother had a wonderful habit. She had long nails, and she would grab our arm, and she would just squeeze. And that was to let us know we were supposed to be perfect little ladies when we were out in public. If we were anything less than perfect, my mother had a major problem with it. And that was how I was raised. So I had an image ego of what family should be and that children should be perfect. I didn't realize until my son was three and a half years old that what I had done is I had been really replicating what, how I was raised. It wasn't exactly the same way. It was a softer version, but I was still bringing all that trash with me. It wasn't until I reached out to hug him and he recoiled from me that I realized that I had taken my son's love and turned it into fear of me. And that broke my heart. And I realized I was bringing the trash from my childhood into the way that I parented, that I had a ridiculous idea that my authority would cause my child to obey me. They're an independent person. They have lessons of their own. And that's the most mindful thing you can accept is your child is an independent human being that has his own list of lessons. And he has different needs and different lessons he needs to learn. Well, and that's one thing that I learned the hard way going through the court system with my divorce when the kids were taken away from their dad and, you know, put in, in, um, you know, they were given to me, but it really identified to me that these, these are people, these aren't, they're my kids. And then when my kids went over to their dads for their first overnight, I felt like ripped in half. But that severing happened, you know, when my kids were like three years old. So that concept of now my kids go over to this other household to be raised, to be parented, whatever the father's girlfriend does is part of that parenting thing. And I got a real big dose early on, Sharon, of I don't own these beings. Like I'm entrusted to raise them. And yes, they came from my body. But, you know, I really as painful as it was, I think it made me a better parent to understand that they are in their own right. 
Because I think a lot mm -hmm. of parents never make that connection that they think these kids are either extensions of themselves or they're somehow their property or they own them. You know, like yeah. when the court tells you, you have to turn over your kids to, you know, these authorities to be given to your mom, you realize, hey, you know, you don't own these kids. But when your kid has to go over court ordered visitation to see the dad, it was a real bucket of cold water that I don't own these children. And I started seeing them very young as their own little beings. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if I would have, I don't think I would have had this view otherwise. But when you look at your own children and say, these are little mini humans, they have their own rights and feelings. They have, like you said, their own lessons to learn. I think that's yeah. a whole different parenting thing. Um, because the other thing that was really strange is at one point my kids are in court and my, my older son who's 15 now kept the court open. He refused to go with his father. And he kept the court open after hours. The judge couldn't go home. He sat there like Gandhi. He had learned about Gandhi in sixth grade. So he did his Gandhi move. And he's like, I'm not moving. I'm not going. And it was amazing to me how many parents were saying to me after that, gee, you're so, I'm so proud of your kid. Or you must be so proud of your kid. And then the other parents are like, oh, I would have hit my kid. And, you know, uh, that was embarrassing. You know, that he wasn't, he wasn't paying, you know, blah, blah. Uh, the whole gamut of views of how people interpreted that situation. And I thought to myself, Sharon, that had nothing to do with me. This was him exercising his rights. He didn't want to go. He was doing it within his power. He's a child. He could have kicked and screamed. He could have done lots of things. He just actually just sat down and refused to move. <laughs> and, you know, nobody's going to put their Which hands on a child. Not bad. But that's right. That's right. None of that had anything to do with me. Like that was his own choice. That was his own response. So to sit here and say, I'm proud of him, or he's just like you, or he's whatever. It was really strange to me that they didn't see him as his own person. Well, you know, I know you. So I would, I would ask you, what did you learn about your child that day? I'm guessing you learned volumes and what, you know, when we're parenting mindfully, you need to really embrace the fact that your child has many different lessons than you do. Mm -hmm. And so when things, when the universe sends something into their life or a person or a situation and your child has to learn from it, there's a new parenting term out there called lawnmower parenting, where a parent will get in front of anything and mow them down so that their child doesn't have to experience it. Oh, I and love I am, that term. I'm very against it. I think that that is just so counterintuitive to allowing a human being to learn their lessons. I mean, you're ripping them off of a lesson that is perfectly timed in a perfect situation that if you're mindful and you're able to say that is, that really does suck. Yes, it does. And I can see why you're not happy about that. And I support the fact that you're not happy. Now the question is, what do we do about that? What you're doing is you're stepping them through the cause and effect. You're t introducing them to how life really works and you're introducing them to themselves. And I think that that is, you know, um, I just think that that's a really lovely way of doing it. And I have a list of questions here that um, I'm trying to find in the moment. Here they are. Um, that I think you don't ask all these questions in every situation, but in your situation, you, I can imagine you doing this, but when you're mindful, when you're calm, the idea of asking questions is the idea of moving a child's brain from the emotional hemisphere to the logical hemisphere. Questions do that. And that takes a child from being completely flooded with emotions to actually being able to think. So your first question I like, and I think is great for almost any situation is what do you think I'm going to say now? Yeah. <laughs> because you want your child to think to this is how you move from the emotional to the logical. <laughs> and I see she's writing it down. There I she know. goes. Like I, I, I take more notes during these shows than probably anybody. <laughs> um, so you really do want to say, what do you think I'm going to say now? Now that has a two pronged approach. Number one, you get to have time to deep breathe. We've talked about deep breathing as being part of mindful. That'll center you. 
it also makes the child go, wait a minute, she's asking me a question. I have to answer it. So they have to dive into their logical mind to think, what would mom say? The benefit of that is that they get to see, if I do this, then that's what happens. So you begin taking them through the process and you'll get really, really good at asking these questions. Another question would be something, what were you trying to do? Or my, uh, another favorite is, what did you think would happen? Yeah, so that's a big one. I love that yeah, one. We, we tend to want to rush in and give them all the answers. But we are literally, when we do that, cutting them off from themselves and cutting them off, ripping them off from a situation that's been perfectly designed to teach them this lesson. So then the next question would be, well, what did you learn from that? Would you learn about yourself? Would you learn about me? What'd you learn about this, uh, about the situation? Right. What did you learn? And now you want to start coming into, this is where you're able to really show your authority. Being mindful, people really believe does not show that I am firm and I have the authority. So you want to ask questions, well, what will you be doing differently so that never happens again? Now you're, what you're doing is starting to have a dialogue about the rules and the regulations and the boundary system that you have in your family. Right. And now you pull it back in and say, well, what happens if you do do that again? And the final one would be, what other things do you want to talk about so we can solve this? What will keep you safe? What will keep you out of trouble? What ideas do you have? Because we want them to be empowered. We want them to think for, the, for themselves. We don't want to be the lawnmower parent. Well, and so that's lawnmower, it's like, you know, you go back to biblical speaking, you know, in the Bible, they had that story where, you know, like, do you want to give them the fish or teach them to fish? Exactly. Do you want to think for them or do you want to teach them to think? They're not really yours. I mean, they are your children, but they are independent human beings that have things they need to learn. The question is, how do you learn best? Do you learn if a professor in college would scream at you? Do you learn from your boss screaming at you? Do you learn from your partner, your husband? Like the insulting. Like I want to just yeah. jump in with that one too, because, you know, there were times that like, um, like, especially during the divorce process that, that maybe wasn't yelling, you know, cause when you're separated and you've got a restraining order, it's hard to yell at that person. Um, but you can have the mean things, you know, and I think back to, I went to Northwestern Sharon for my undergraduate and graduate, and I went on a full scholarship. So I'm far from dumb, but my, I took a physics class and the guy said, if I gave this exam to a bunch of cows in Wisconsin, they would have done better. And I never forgot that because, you know, it's like, you know, it's funny, ha-ha, but like, you know, when you're it's not funny years old and you studied all night for this exam and you flunked it, yeah. like now I yeah. taught at USC, now I recognize it is as much my responsibility as my students' responsibility. If my whole class flunks, then that's a reflection on me. But as a 19, 18, 19-year-old, I didn't know that. I have still, right. like... 30 years later, it's stuck with me about, or 20 years later, that that test that a bunch of cows were smarter than me. So I see parents sometimes making these smart remarks to their kids, like one in basketball the other night, the dad said, God, if you ran any slower, you would go backwards. And I could tell the kid was trying. And it's like, you know, we see on TV all these snappy, quippy, funny things that either kids say to parents or parents say to kids, but then I see it modeled with the parents in the car, in the stands, at the soccer field. And I think sometimes those things are even more hurtful and they stick with you longer because that physics teacher never yelled at me. He just told me I was dumb as a bunch of cows. So yeah. what lasted longer? Well, I think that that's, that's parenting on autopilot. That's bringing your childhood wounds into the way that you parent. That person obviously had been told something similar to that whenever he was growing up. And so he believed that that was the way to motivate a human being. He bypassed. I have done this in class with a lot of parents where I said, you know, um, can you remember what it was like the first time your parents said that to you? And they said, yes. And I said, 
was it a happy experience or a not happy experience? Not happy. I said, is that something, do you love your child? Yes. Do you want to pass that on to your child? No. He says, what are you doing? Right. Wouldn't you want to take a breath right then and there? Wouldn't you want your awareness to be on what you say to that child? Because what you say is being, it's like a brick. It's put in the foundation of that human being. And then that human being has no choice because they're a child to use immature thinking. And immature thinking is skewed. It, isn't, it doesn't have the big picture. But they build an, on that for a lifetime. And they make decisions about themselves and what they're capable of for a lifetime. So you made a decision. Am I really, I'm dumber than cows? Right. And that will go with you for a long time. Until you go back in meditation, face that little girl who's 18 and said, you're not dumber than cows. Let right. it go. <laughs> you know, let's move on. Right. And right, so but, we're doing that with our kids. Yeah. Yeah. Because like, you know, when my kids, you know, do poorly on something, you know, I, that does come into my head that, you know, and it to watch your mouth, watch your you watch your language, watch your tone, because that doesn't, that doesn't help anybody. No. And most of the time in society these days, and especially in parenting, um, a lot of people are really of the mind, I just need to let it go. Um, affirmations are kind of like that. I love affirmations, but there are other things that are motivating the wound that you're trying to change through affirmation. So if you don't get to the point of origin with what the wound really is, the affirmation is just going to spin around. So we need to start looking at what are these difficult feelings that we have and how do we address them? There was a great thing on Facebook a long time ago called the train analogy. Somebody wrote it and I've been using it. Uh, I forget who to give credit to, but you have my applause. It said, difficult feelings are tunnels, and we are the trains traveling through them. All of us have to move through feelings so we can get through, get back to common peace at the end of the tunnel. And I thought that was brilliant for children because a four-year-old, all you have to do is show them a toy train going through a tunnel. But with an 18-year-old, you're giving them the imagery of going through a tunnel. What am I going to find on the other side? I'm going to help to find how do I resolve these feelings? And that's the job. As parents, we don't ever show, well, I can't say ever. Most parents do not show their children how they process their feelings. Right. And we assume and expect our children to process their feelings without any help from us. Well, and you can't the do thing, that. Like with the train analogy, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but that's okay you go through the tunnel, you come out the other side. Like that's exactly. the one thing that I found, especially with my, my teen and preteen with heartache, it's not always going to yeah. hurt. You know what I mean? Like right. heart hurts right now. She didn't, you know, my one asked, my little guy asked like four girls to the dance. Oh, they all said no. Then he went to the dance by himself and asked three more girls and they all said no. That's tough. You know, it's that tough. Is tough. You know, and I, and he's yeah. like, mom, I'm so sad or mom, I'm so mad, mom, blah, blah, blah. and I'm like, I know you are. And, and, you know, of course you are. And I said, but you know what, this isn't going to last forever. So just go ahead and feel them because the more you feel in them, the, the faster you can let them go. Like, you know, I didn't know how to tell him not to hang on to it, but now I got the train in the tunnel. Once you go through and feel the feelings, you come out the other side, process them. There's the light literally at the end of the tunnel. Exactly. But you gave your son the gift of, look, when you feel this way, feel this way. And when you're done, you're done. Instead of when you feel this way, swallow your feelings and move on. Soldier on. Don't cry. Be a brick. Be a rock. Don't cry. It's like, no, don't. Feel them. Because once you feel them, you can process through them and they are over. And you can make a new decision about what it is I need to do. Right. And that's being mindful. So my goal here is to take mindful from Webster's um, definition and expand it so that it has a big, pers uh, you know, big picture perspective to it. Because you have to look at your five-year-old and say, what is it that you need to learn right here, right now, so you'll be better tomorrow? In punishing you for this is not going to teach you what you need to learn. Punishing will not teach you 
how to enter a conversation respectfully and interrupt. If I keep turning around and say, don't interrupt me, I'm not telling you what to do instead. Right. And that is the key. The key is what you can say what you need to say to stop me, to guide me, but what am I supposed to do instead? Right. And we forget to tell kids that. Yeah. And, and, you know, the other thing too is, is I think a lot of parents and, you know, maybe it's the way they were raised. I was raised in a German, Polish, Ukrainian household, which wouldn't make it captain friendly, um, you know, with, with having your emotions all over. And I will say to my kids, and I, I had to do this because my mom was dying of breast cancer and I had to put our two dogs down and then my dad moved in with us. So we had a lot of transition and, um, and I got divorced in all the middle of that, by the way. So a lot of things that made mom cry. And so yeah. I got in the habit of in the car, they would go like, mom, what's wrong? And I'd say, you know, I miss grandma. And I know, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm tearing up because I miss grandma. It's not anything you guys did. And it's not anything you need to fix. I just miss her right now. And the therapist that I was working with um, helped me with some of that languaging. But when you have especially extreme things going on, like any one of those things, um, you know, like when I put the dogs down, I cried and the kids were like, you know, why are you crying? And I'm like, well, I'm going to miss Bailey. And he used to eat bees and make us laugh. And, you know, and then I said, I'm so happy that I can be with him when he crosses over. And they're like, well, you know, why don't you just leave him at the vet? You know, these are the questions kids ask. And I think yes, when you put your answers and include your feelings, it helps so much because they then they understand they're not at fault. They didn't do anything wrong because that was maybe it's all kids. But if I cry, their go to is what did I do wrong? And if I well, yeah, tearing up over something, you know, like a movie or something, and I'll say, oh, well, this made me think of the time grandma and I just missed her and my eyes teared up. Like that's, you know, and especially boys, you know, they're not the yes. best. So they look at my face and say, mom's crying. And I, one time, Sharon, you'll love this. I actually asked my two boys, they were about like, I don't know, eight and 10 or 10 and 12, somewhere around there, you know, before high school, I was really angry. And I said, can you look at my face and tell me what you think I'm feeling? They were like, um, sad, I'm mad, I, I don't know. And I realized at that point that maybe I'm a good poker face because my Polish German background, or maybe they're kids and they can't read it. Like, but to both of my kids, sad and mad look the same. That's really interesting. That's really, really interesting. And, and, and so then it becomes our job as parents to look at it and say, what does my face say? Do that for a couple of months. And what you're doing is you're giving your children the social clues of being able to read other human beings. But that also brings up the point of, you know, our face may not tell. Like I try really hard not to upset my kids with my own tears. Because yeah. when you have sons, and I think you've experienced this as well, it's kind of like, I'll do anything to protect you. I love you. And, yes. you know, just don't, don't upset my mother. Um, but what they, what most people don't recognize is there's an energy that follows your feelings. So your energy is being, it's, it, it's sending out its own signals that I'm upset. And so that's what your kids are, are trying to read. They feel it because children will always feel you before they'll see you. They can feel your feelings because you're connected to them. Sure. They grew up inside. I mean, they were born in, from inside of you. Um, well, for crying out loud, your dogs can. You know, I've had dogs for 15 years. When I come exactly. to work and I've had like, like if I'm on the freeway and I get off the freeway and I'm frustrated from the freeway, when I walk in, my dogs will do this thing with their eyebrows. They go. And they don't, uh -oh. jump and, you know, they don't run around. Like I've literally just walked in the door. How did you know I was frustrated from the freeway? Because normally if I come in and I walk in and they're like, bip, 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 I'm like, hi guys, boop, boop, boop. You know, they're, you know, so if a dog can figure it out, make no mistake, so can your kid. Absolutely. And so it is our job to instruct them and guide them and show them, but not prevent them from experiencing things that will teach them that. So, you know, it, it, it is, 
it's important to ask those questions. What does my face look like? Am I serious right now or am I kidding around? And then they get the idea, oh, she's serious. So, you know, we don't get to make a decision when they have or when they should have mastered um, that knowledge. It's a long process. How many adults do you know that can't read social clues? Well, right. I mean, my dad, my brother, all of my NASA friends, <laughs> you know, I mean, there's certain characteristics, um, you know, in, in kids or boys or, you know, like my one son is more comfortable on the computer. So we will actually text. Sometimes we have a disagreement and he doesn't like confrontation. I don't like confrontation. So I go in my room, he goes in his room and then the texts start. Mom, you didn't understand. This is what I meant when I said this. And I'm like, you're right. I didn't. I'm sorry. I got mad. This is what I was thinking happened. He goes, no, mom, I wouldn't do that. You know, you can look at these texts and go, you know, there's ways to repair things. You know, if you're kind of nerdy introverts, use a text. If you're an extrovert, my little one, he likes face to face, right up in my face, want to tell me. And I have a hard time even constructing a sentence when someone's right in my face talking to me about emotions. So I think it's right. like this pea soup of, of what can you do and then what can your kids do? What works best for you guys? It's about creating a safe space for each individual. With your son, it's really great to do texting. I think we finally found a, a great use for texting. Is that for some people, it's safer to just text how I felt and yes. do that. Um, you know, if for other people, and I have a son who is very emotional, wants to get right in my face. And so I finally realized, okay, that's a little much for me. Why don't you sit beside me? And now we're both looking straight on and I can hold your hand so you feel connected, but we can both say what we need to say without you, like you're, you're sending it to me it's and you're attacking me. Yeah. It's too intense. Well, so, and that's you know, why, the, like even the, the PlayStation or the Xbox or the, the, the little handheld, the Nintendo thing he plays with, mm -hmm. um, we have better conversations with both of my kids when they're playing a video game. Right. There is a part of them that is off doing something else. They feel safe and they can just talk. So, you know, these are things that's like, okay, well, we don't like technology, but is there a mindful way we can use technology to really help us? Um, we are all accepting of the fact that you take five deep breaths, have a seat, cross your legs, get centered. Now let's talk about it. But from that point on of let's talk about it and how do I remind you what the rules are and how do I give a consequence that will teach you and give you the life skills you need, that we don't do mindfully. And that's where we need to really be mindful. Um, because there are things like, um, you know, when a child doesn't feel heard, when he feels that you're not listening to him, he's going to hang on to those feelings. But then he translates those feelings into a way that isn't accurate, but he bases everything on it. Things like, you know, he'll be resentful after you've said no, and his overriding thought is, this is unfair. Then when you use immature reasoning and you keep putting yourself in a situation where you find that you think your parent's being unfair, you, the message that's being sent is, I can't trust adults. They're always unfair. Right. Now, that decision travels and has legs throughout their lifetime. And they would have to really work hard to figure out, I can't trust adults. That's why I've made those decisions. Mm -hmm. Instead, what we want to do is say, I see that you don't think this is fair. Tell me what you think would be fair. Right. Okay? Or doesn't mean you want to use your own. Like, I'm going to use your own, my notes here. I'm going to say, why do you think I'm going to say no? Yeah. I mean, that would be kind of a fun one to, you know, like if they say, mom, I want to do whatever and I don't want them to do it. Why do you think I will say no? Okay. But still you want to give them the opportunity to arrive at the no. So there's compliance there. So okay. if you add, why am I going to say no? They're going to immediately start to have a power struggle with you because they, they disagree that you should say no. Okay. But if you say, what am I going to say now? then they have to think, you're going to say no. Why am I going to say no? Oh, so they have to do the why reasoning. Do you think? I missed the reason. They have to do the thinking. Got it. That's why I called it pulling it through the brain. Yeah. I'm not going to give you the answer. I want you to really think about this yourself because not only do I want you to know I'm going to say no, but I want you to know why. Right. And then I would basically with my kids look at them and say, you agree with why I'm going to say no, no, no right? 
you agree with why I'm going to say no, right? And they go, yeah. And it's over. Yeah, because there's sometimes when I've said no and the kids, I've, I have this rule with them that, you know, I don't know everything and I'm not perfect. So if I say something and you can come back with a really clear argument as to why I should change my mind, just come to me and, and do it in a respectful manner. And there have been times where my kids have come back to me and said, Mom, you know, I think you should reconsider this. And, you know, here are the three reasons. And you know what? They're good reasons because there's sometimes I'm Absolutely. tired and no is just easy. Exactly. And so being mindful is opening up the dialogue. Now, the other thing I want to be really clear about here is that I've been trained very clearly to bring this down to a kindergarten level to the basics, because when you're emotional in any way, shape, or form, being um, having all kinds of complicated concepts to use, you're gonna fail. But if I bring it down to really basic, this is communication, This and, I, and you're the expert with your child, so you're gonna know where to go, I'm just giving you a clue, then you have success. And that's what proactive parenting is all about, is tips and clues and sample conversations and books and eBooks that will help you get through this because we know we need to be mindful. We're just not sure what to say in order to be mindful. Right. The languaging, you've helped me so much with, you know, just the wording on how to say these things. So Sharon, tell us a little bit about where people can find these books and eBooks and information. Um, you can find me at proactiveparenting.net and everything is there. You can also find me on Facebook at pro active parenting tips and so i'm there and i'm also on instagram but i'm working on that instagram thing <laughs> but well, thank you so that's much. Where you find it yeah thank you so much for being our guest today and what other materials do you have what other source materials do you have oh my gosh well we have our books stop reacting and start responding um, 108 ways to transform behavior into learning moments so you take the daily things about life and you change the languaging and you change the concept and you have a learning moment. And that's really what proactive parenting is all about. That's so thank wonderful. you so much for having me on today. Oh my gosh, I have so much fun. Look at my whole page of notes. I'm so excited to try these out. And um, boy, if you haven't tried the try again, whenever your kids sass this to you and you don't like it, if you just say try again and they'll say it in a way that, that improves, it's, it's just like a magic tool. We're going to have you back again, Sharon. This has been so much fun. Proactiveparenting.net. We'll catch you again next week. Thank you for listening. On behalf of Sandra Beck, we want you to get out there today to make more money with less time and effort so you can live the life you want. Tune in next week for more tips, tricks, and techniques on Coach Talk Radio.